are in the middle of a series called One Step at a Time because we follow Jesus. Okay, thank you, Keith, for participating today. Well, maybe we should try that because we follow Jesus. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to say that the 930 was significantly louder than you. I'm just saying the 930 was significantly louder. Come on, Stony Plain. We'll wake up this morning. I don't know. I don't know about you, but does that weather get you down a little bit? The weather gets you you're like, oh, I don't want to wake up. Well, let's let's deal with it this morning. Let's just deal with it. It's a good day to be in church. Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. So if they stumble, they will never fall. The Lord holds them by the hand. Now, if we, we go back to that, that first verse in, in verse 23 of Psalm chapter 37, it says, he delights in every detail of their lives. He delights in all those little small things of their lives. In another way that we can say it, and if we were to try to roll it back to the original Hebrew to get the original intent, uh, we could almost say in this way that he finds joy in the journey. He finds joy in the journey, speaking of God, and that it, he finds joy in our journey, that maybe we could learn to find some joy in the journey. That's what I want to talk about today, finding joy in the journey. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. Okay, okay. Three people today uh, are with me on this journey. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to flash this back to the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 15. So if you've got a paper Bible, you can meet me over there. If you do not, the, uh, the verses will show up on the screen behind me, I think, just to my right, your left. Uh, and if you're using the YouVersion Bible app, you can open that up, hit the More button in the bottom right-hand corner, and everything is locked and loaded and ready for you to go on your device. It's not creepy. It's just the power of the Internet. It's totally fine. It's not actually on your device. It don't get nervous. Uh, let's go to the New Testament for a moment before we flash back to the Old Testament. Galatians chapter 5. It says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Every part of our lives. Then get this. This is the best part. Let us not become conceited. <laughs> oh, we got reverb on that one. Conceited. <laughs> or provoke one another. Or be jealous of one another. Let the Spirit guide our lives, every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. In other words, when left to our own devices, uh, when left to our own human tendencies, it is the position of the human heart, if we are not intentional about stopping it, to become conceited. To provoke everyone and anyone around us just because we're conceited so we would. And then we are jealous of one another, which leads us to becoming conceited so I can be better than you because I'm jealous of what you have and what I don't have. When we're left to our own devices, the human heart, in essence, says, I am it. I am the boss. I'm the best. I am amazing. And I will do anything that I have to do to hold on to or keep or maintain my own position. When we begin to follow Jesus, we find it says at the beginning of Galatians chapter 5 that the flesh is at war with our spirit, which means the spiritual part of us, the spirit person that comes alive inside of us is now wrestling. There's this fight that's happening back and forth that says, this is how I'm made, but this is who I'm created to be. And so we struggle back and forth between these tension points. This is how I'm made, but this is who I'm created to be because Jesus loves us so much that he does not leave us as we are. He transforms us day by day into the better version of ourselves. She's like, are you saying that I'm not good enough? I'm not saying you're not good enough. I'm just saying there's more available to you. 
that there is another chapter, that there's another season, that you can become an even better version of you, that there's the version that you were like, that this is where you start, but God's got this trajectory and a journey, and we can learn to find joy in the journey, the ups and downs of the journey, when we begin to put our hope and our faith and our trust, understanding that every up and down, every nook and cranny, everything that we thought was a speed bump or a roadblock was actually intended to shape us and transform us. You're, are, you're like, are you saying that God's putting things in front of my path? I'm not saying that he's necessarily putting things in front of your path. I'm saying more times than not, I'm putting things in front of my path. <laughs> and he's using those things to develop me, to sharpen me, to, to make me better. And as I do those things, I become more self-aware that I'm actually self-inflicting this chaos into my life. If you feel chaos in your heart, it is most likely that you're going to start manifesting chaos in your life because it's only a matter of time before what's inside comes out. And so the whole journey that we're on is being transformed day by day, one step at a time, finding joy in the journey as we navigate the high times and the low times and we put our trust in Jesus, not becoming conceited, not ripping others down to climb up over them. We say, hey, we're just going to follow Jesus one step at a time. I want us to jump into 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. It's an Old Testament story. I'm going to give you a paraphrase of what happened in overview, and then we'll jump into some specifics. So at this time in history of, in the history of Israel, Saul is the king of Israel. And Saul it was the king before David. It was when David and Goliath all happened. David was like a little teenager. Anyone familiar with David and Goliath? Anyone in the house familiar with David and Goliath? A few people might be aware. Uh, so David was just this little shepherd guy, teenager. King Saul was the king at that time. So Saul is the king. And Saul, in his own right, was, was a highly respected warrior and, and, and a great military strategist and a great king and a great leader. But how many know that after a while, when you're the top dog, and if you're not checking yourself, that you begin to become conceited, you begin to provoke one another, you begin to get jealous, and you begin to essentially go your own way. Even though it was God that led you to this point, it was him that promoted you, it was him that made any of this possible, there comes this time in our journey at some point where we're like, you know what, I'm going to take that back. Thank you, God, for getting me here but I'm going to take control back now because clearly it was me who got me here, and I'm going to just take it from here. Saul's going into battle, and God gives him some specific instructions. Now, sometimes we don't like the, the battle scenes in the Old Testament. It's like, listen, let's not superimpose our 21st century worldview or morality onto a text that's based in 1000 B.C., okay? Let's, let's just, just be aware of that for a moment. So we're talking about 1000 B.C., about 1011 B.C. This goes down, and God says to Saul, you're going to war with a people called the Amalekites. Turn to someone and say Amalekites. Pretty good. And their king's name is Agag. Yeah, Agag. Oh, you didn't have to say it, but thank you for saying it. That was wonderful. You did a great job. It, it sounds like you're choking every time you say it. Uh, and he's like, when you go to war with the Amalekites, I want you to wipe them out. 
every, every last one of them. Like to every warrior should be dead on the field. And then when you see anything uh, that belongs to them, kill it. Livestock, everything. I want no remnants left. We're going to wipe them out. You're like, that is so terrible. That was life in 1000 BC. Kill or be killed, okay? So you can judge the morality later. But God says, if you're going to take this territory, you got to wipe out the enemy. If you don't take care of the enemy, it will come back to haunt you. But we'll talk about that in a moment. So Saul goes and, he, and, he, and, they, and they win a decisive battle, but he's like, you know what? These goats and these sheep, these flocks, they look good. They will enhance my wealth. I'm going to keep them. And you know what, King Agag, you know, it's never a bad thing to hold a guy for ransom. So let's, let's keep him alive in prison for a while. And besides, like, nobody understands king life like another king, am I right? So we'll just keep him around and maybe I'll go talk to him directly disobeying God's instruction. And you're like, well, I don't, is that really a big deal? We'll get there. This is 1 Samuel 15. We'll start at verse 12. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him, Saul, this is how you know when it's getting bad right here. Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. <laughs> it's like, you know, the story's not going like not going well when the king left to build a statue to himself in his honor for his victory when he disobeyed God directly. Then he went on to Gilgal. When Samuel finally found Saul, uh, found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. I love this. Then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle, I hear? Got him. It's true that the army spared the best sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted. But they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We've destroyed everything else. Like totally, you might hear some goats or sheep. It's not for me. It's for Jesus. Totally. It's not to enhance my wealth. Notice who he didn't talk about. The other king who he kept alive. So Old Testament context, God spoke through one person, usually a prophet, and he would come and bring direct direction to a king. So he was God's voice, you know, to that king. Remember, they're one nation speaking a whole different societal setup. So this one prophet of God would come. That's who Samuel is. That's who he is in this story. He's the voice of God. He's, he's, he's the voice of instruction. He gave him that instruction. He knew exactly what the instructions were. Saul, uh, you know, Saul, we can see that his headspace is kind of like, I'm awesome. Because who else wins a battle and builds themselves a statue? Can't be found because they're in the midst of building themselves a statue. Makes an executive decision that says, hey, God had a plan. God had a purpose. God's directed my step. He, you know, Saul wasn't supposed to be king. He's an accidental king because the people demanded a king. And, and, and he got chosen. And his entire journey until this moment was one of saying, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be this guy. But all of a sudden, sudden, something shifts in his heart. And he's like, I am this guy. Now build me a statue and keep those sheep. And you're like, this is this what this what is who cares? God cares. How do I know I'm blinded by my ego? Simple. Rationalization and justification. How do I know I'm blinded by my ego? Rationalization and justification. 
when we're following Jesus one step at a time, there can be this tendency to want to move faster or to stop or to maybe you're mid-step and you feel like you're out of balance and you just want to bring your foot down. So you feel like maybe the best decision is, is to just make your own decision. And can, and can I tell you, you're like, when we're following Jesus one step at a time, I don't, I'm not saying that everyone needs to live in limbo every moment of their life. It's just like when God opens up a door and if he doesn't say no, you should walk through it. But you shouldn't necessarily try and open up the next five doors to move into the area that you think that you should end up in. You should just wait where you are and wait for the next door to be open for you. You're like, well, that doesn't seem, that seems counterintuitive. My only suggestion today is that when you're given specific instruction from Jesus, you should follow it as outlined, as described, and as he says it. Anything else is a reflection of the ego in my heart. You know, simple, light topics for a rainy Sunday morning. <laughs> Anything else is a reflection of what's going on in here. When you move into a season where you're moving into position or you're moving into a place or you're moving into authority, remember that when you're following Jesus one step at a time, it wasn't you that opened the door in the first place. You can step into it and you can walk into it with confidence and you can lead and you can lead well. Just understand who led you there. And who's continuing to lead you? See, I think we do this all the time, right? We're like, hey, I'm, I want to go do this in my life. I want to I do, do these things in my life. And, and, and we get this kind of sense or a picture and we start moving in that direction. And then it doesn't happen. And then we start spinning our own narrative or our, our own story about why it's happening or why it's not happening. Because our, our goal is self-preservation. We want to let everyone else know that, that, that like we're doing great, we're doing awesome. Uh, and, and, and we want to protect ourselves. But on this other side, there's this transformative moment where it's like, listen, you can either make a lie that you buy into about where you're headed, what you're doing, or where you're going, or you could just trust Jesus. And so when we're confronted with ourselves, how do we handle ourselves? I want to, this is a bonus verse. It's not in any uh, of the notes anywhere or on the screen or on the app, but this is Psalm 119 verse 29, and it's written from the perspective of David when he becomes king, and he says these words, and I just thought it was amazing. Keep me from lying to myself and give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. Keep me from lying, from, from lying to myself and give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. It's very easy in a good season to take all the credit And to make it about us. It's very easy to start amassing success and accolades and things when you're in a good season, a door that God has opened. And to start deciding that those are the good things that are for you. There comes a time and a choice when you have to decide, am I going to be a person who steps into positions and I'm going to live a life of integrity and I'm going to live a life that's honoring to Jesus or am I going to live a life that's about me? And there's a, a hard line that comes because when it becomes about following Jesus, then we're not interested in necessarily 
pushing the pace. Now, when we're thinking about this, you're like, but I'm kind of like a go-getter person. I'm a hustle person. I'm ambitious. Is it okay for me to be ambitious? Absolutely. Look who you're talking to. I am that person. <laughs> I, got, I get it. I got you. I fully understand. What I'm trying to lead us to is a place where, uh, you know, one word that we could use to describe it is a level of self-awareness where we actually understand what's happening inside of us. Because I think we find ourselves in situations, good or bad, we blame somebody else when it's bad, we take all the credit when it's good, and then we tell ourselves lies and stories to justify whatever behavior we take after that initial moment. What, I wonder what our life could look like if we didn't take the credit for all the good things and if we took the personal responsibility for some of the bad things. See, I think if we learn to take some of the personal responsibility, it might change the way we receive the credit. So when we talk about one step at a time, we're getting down to like the soul work, the nitty gritty stuff that has to happen inside of us when we decide how we're going to live and the way that we want to live. I'm a person who's going to chase down things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after things. I'm going to go through open doors, but I'm going to be aware of who opened the door. I don't know if you caught this in 1 Samuel 15. Uh, we'll go to verse 15. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul demanded. But they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We've destroyed everything else. Second question, how do I know I'm blinded by my ego? I know I'm blinded by my ego when I'm forced to lie to protect myself. Right? I have to keep this position. I have to keep up appearance. I have to keep all these things. Now, how do you know you're blinded by your ego? Number one, rationalization and justification. Number two, I'm forced to lie to protect myself. Now, the irony of this whole situation is that Samuel's speaking for God. He's literally understood to be a prophet of God, hears the voice of God, and speaks directly into everyday situations. That's literally his job. Did Saul actually think that lying to the person who represents God was a good idea and that he would just believe him? Doesn't he think that his job is to hear from God directly? This is Samuel's reply in 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Obedience is better than sacrifice. But I'm doing it for you. Now that's the tension. When left to our own devices, we want to do stuff for God. When we're in a personal relationship with Jesus, we want to do things with God. My idea, for God. 
I get to show my work. Technically, anyone do the Enneagram thing? Any Enneagram peeps in here? Anyone wholeheartedly reject Enneagram? I did for like a really long time. Just because Des talked to me about it so much, I'm like, I don't want to have this conversation anymore. <laughs> Turns out I'm an Enneagram 3, which is part of my rejection of Enneagram. Um, <laughs> anyways, it's just a personality thing. But a part of that is, uh, a part of being an Enneagram 3 is, part of my makeup is that if left unchecked, you can get your self-worth from the things that you do by your performance. Now, I like to think that's just, that's just a me problem, but I think that's an us problem. Where we derive our self-worth from the things that we want to do for God. Even if those things that we want to do for God are a part of the rationalization and justification of us doing things away from God. Like I said, light topics for Sunday morning in Stony Plain. And no one else has heard this. You're the first to hear this. No other service, no other time. This is Stony Plain jams right here. As we learn to follow Jesus one step at a time, we must embrace that obedience is better than sacrifice. God, I did all these things for you. I made these. No, no, no. What we're saying is that Following Jesus one step at a time takes complete priority over rationalization and justification of my actions, which was really just about me doing what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. Now, to tie it all together, I believe that we believe that we will find the best joy and pleasure in life if we do what we want to do when we want to do it. Because we've made an assumption that I know me better than anyone else. False assumption. There's only one person who knows me better than me, and that's the person who handcrafted and created me, who put in my personality traits, who gave me my strengths, who gave me my weaknesses, who knows all about me, good, bad, and ugly, who even understands my personal disposition to doing things for him instead of things with him. So if we can understand that he knows me better than I know me, then we can come to a place where his way is higher than my way. That's Isaiah 55. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His trajectory for me is better than my trajectory for me. But the difference is my trajectory for me has less trouble, less pain, less difficulty. You know, when I go to McDonald's, anyone, any McDonald's people in the house? Everyone goes, all right? You can, you can pretend. You can pretend. But why are they the number one business in the world? It's because everybody goes. You pretend you don't go. And you're like, I'm eating so healthy right now. Yeah. How was that Big Mac last night at 1 a.m., all right? But they got that double lane drive through now. And I've learned something about myself. Do you want to hear it? This is my self-awareness moment. I learned I always make the wrong choice. Every time. Every time 
I'm trying to get there faster. So I think I overthink it because I'm like, all right, listen, there's this car and this car. Clearly, this lady has kids in the car, bigger order. I'm like overthinking it. I'm like, there's too many kids in that car for me to get through in an expedited manner. There's that guy in the truck. He's by himself. It's fine. He's probably going to have a super large Coke and a Big Mac and extra large fries. I'm already judging his order in front of me. I'm like, all right, so I'm going to go with this guy because by the time she answers that one and that one, this is double barrel, double lane. Perfect. Call my shop, pull in. Four cars go before I ever take an order. And I'm like... I think maybe the Lord's teaching me a lesson every single time I go to McDonald's. Because my propensity is to find the shortcut and to find the fastest way. And the truth is there's a joy in the journey. And I need to reject the side of myself that embraces the shortcut and embrace the side of myself that finds the joy in the journey. You you didn't know how that McDonald's thing was going to come around, but you're happy it did. (laughs) Because that's who I am. I'm like, life hack, shortcut. That. If we're being honest, any life hack or shortcut will only get you to a place of being disappointed in yourself. You can disagree. I just also disagree with you. <laughs> so then, Following Jesus one step at a time. How do I make it happen? Oh, this is the worst part. Here we go. It's in the Bible. Psalm 37. Psalm 37. It's the worst part. It's a Bible. This is the worst Bible verse, but you're going to learn to love it. (laughs) Psalm 37, verse 7. Are you still with me? Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. But just those first two lines. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. When I follow Jesus one step at a time, I learn to be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. I learn that in those times when I feel stuck or trapped, it's possible that something's going on and I could find rest. You see, being a you know, person who studies the Bible, when I first read that verse, be still in the presence of the Lord, wait patiently for him to act, I did what any Bible person would do. I pulled up as many translations that I could to find a word that didn't say still. <laughs> I was like, there must be another implication. There's got to be another word here. Like, there's got to be something else. And then I discovered there's not, and it just gets worse. Because the Hebrew word is demam. Just turn to your neighbor and say, you're demam. All right. Couple of be- Thanks for the 40% that participated today. But the, the original Hebrew, there's a whole bunch of words that could be used to exchange this, and none of them is good for us. It's silence, still, silent, cut off, cut down, rest, cease, forbear. That's an exciting one. <laughs> Peace, quieted, tarry, and wait. It doesn't matter what the situation or the circumstance. I need to be still or to be silent or be quiet or to cease and desist in the presence of the Lord. I need to wait patiently for him to act. Worst words of all time. I want to do action steps in the presence of the Lord. I want to, you know, I want to go to war. I want to take ground. I want to, no, 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 no. 
be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Have you ever had that moment in your life where it feels like you're just waiting? And you might not even know what you're waiting for, but you just feel like you're waiting. I want you to consider this for a moment. One of the other words, and it's one of the most other popular ways that this is translated, is the word rest. The principle is, when we're following Jesus one step at a time, and we're in a season of waiting, it's possible that you're actually intended to be in a season of rest. That you ceasing and desisting and stopping to make something happen will actually prepare you for the things that's next. And this is the worst thing ever. I don't know if you know this, but I, I pace a lot. And if you want to see me pace even more, just watch me on a phone call. I put in my AirPods, and I just walk around. I'm like a caged tiger. I'm just like, back. if I'm in a room, like if I'm in an office, I'm literally just like back and forth. I just, I can't stop moving. I just have to keep going. And Des like laughs at me. And then I like make a journey around the house. If I'm at home, I'm just like, I'm going upstairs. I'm going downstairs. I'm going out the backyard. I'm coming out. I'm like, I am just walking. I'm on a journey, guys. I just, I cannot stop moving. And yet God says in the midst of a season where I want to move, when I want to act and nothing's going together, I need to learn to cease and desist, to be still so I can be rested and refreshed for the next season. Wait patiently for God to act. Now, why do I need to wait patiently? Well, the great news is that when we look at Galatians 5 and we look at verse, Galatians 5, verse 22, we find the fruits of the Spirit, which is the evidence that God is at work in our life. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does when he starts working in our lives is he starts teaching us and giving us patience. Because the truth is, if I was left to my own humanity, I could not be patient. Because my ego tells me to push the pace and make something happen when nothing's happening. How do I know I'm blinded by my ego? I push when I should rest. I wait patiently for the Lord to act. Why? Timing. Opportunity. Moments. You could be resting because he led you there. Here, um... Again, bonus content for the this service. Ben should come. I will keep talking. Lauren, come quickly. <laughs> Psalm 23. Anyone familiar with Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along paths, bringing honor to his name. Wow. She's like, wrap it up. <laughs> the actual Hebrew implication of he lets me rest is he makes me lie down. He makes me lie down. Wait, I'm in a green meadow. I want to run. I want to play. I want to drink. I want to whatever. No, he makes me lie down. You might feel like you're in a waiting period, you're in a season, you're in a holding pattern, you don't know what's next, you don't know what next looks like. Can I tell you, find rest. Find a joy in the journey, understand that you could find joy in your rest. 
Even though you've made your you've made your life about what you can do, what if we made our life about what he can do through you? What if we could learn to find joy in the journey, find joy in the rest, knowing that the work will come in just a moment, but your life is not defined by your work or your accomplishments. Our life is defined simply by the word of a loving father that says, this is my son or my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. That you will do more, accomplish more, be more. If you learn to follow Jesus one step at a time, reject the human nature that says, I'm going to do it, I'm going to make it happen, watch me and embrace. I'm going to follow you and I'm going to be learn, I'm going to learn to rest when it's time to rest, hustle when it's time to hustle, work when it's time to work and be patient when he calls me to lie down even if I don't want to. James 4 verse 6 says, and he gives grace generously as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble.